Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. You know, this week was a huge milestone for Go Green Radio. We turned 10 years old on June 27th, 2018. That was our 10-year-old birthday. So we're celebrating by having a really cool topic this week for our show. I'm so excited to bring Paul Berry to us and have him talk to us about something that's a first ever in the United States, the first ever city-proclaimed vegan challenge. Asheville, North Carolina is leading us all in how to do this. And we're going to learn from Paul, how several different city partners got together with the city and created a seven-day vegan challenge for residents, for businesses and institutions. Paul is the executive director for Brother Wolf Animal Rescue. They were one of the organizers of this vegan challenge. Welcome to Go Green Radio, Paul. I'm so glad to have you on the show. Thank you, Jill, for having me. I'm honored to be on, and congratulations on your 10-year anniversary this year. This week. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, I am really looking forward to talking about the Vegan Challenge in Asheville. And, and before I go any further, do you all say it Asheville or Asheville? Because I know that sometimes in the South, you know, there's a different pronunciation. I want to say it right. Educate me. Asheville. Asheville. Got it. All right. Well, in Asheville, you had the Vegan Challenge, and I have a feeling that a lot of our listeners are going to want to replicate this event in their city. So I want to really dig in and help them understand how and why Asheville had this Vegan Challenge established. Let's begin by having you tell us how the idea for this citywide Vegan Challenge originated. What was the impetus, Paul? Okay. Well, thanks again for having me on, Jill. I'm honored to be on your wonderful show, and I know you have a great group of listeners. So I hope this uh, conversation will be of interest and benefit to them. Um, we, uh, Brother Wolf Animal Rescue is headquartered in Asheville, and every year we produce Asheville Vegan Fest. And each year uh, when we produce the festival, we always have a lead-up uh, vegan challenge uh, in advance of the fest. This year, a couple of things happened that I think we'll dig into in the call here. A couple of unique things happened that ended up creating an an unprecedented opportunity for this year's particular challenge. Um, But uh, I'm sure we'll get into that in a moment. Uh, The the reason we do it is just to promote um, veganism and um, to encourage local businesses and the uh, uh, local uh, community here that... um, there are a lot of folks out there that want to try vegan foods, and a lot of folks are leaning toward uh, uh, transitioning to veganism, and we just wanted to every year make uh, a challenge that uh, will help put great information out there. There are always new products coming onto the market, and, um, and try to keep it fun, you know, try to make it fun for folks to do, and easy to sign up, and it's all free. So that's, that's, that was the impetus. We do it every year. This year, some, a couple of unique things happened that made it really this unprecedented event this year. That's so cool. And according to an article I read, there were actually three entities that helped you organize the challenge this year. You had your organization, Brother Wolf Animal Rescue, you had the city, and you had a regional health center, Mission Health. Talk to us about how this alliance formed and the role that each organization played in promoting the vegan challenge. Okay, great question. So the that was the unprecedented set of circumstances that all came together this year. The first thing that happened was one of the councilmen from Asheville 
city council reached out and asked if we were doing the challenge again this year and thought uh, that we might consider trying to get the city involved somehow. And long story short, we had a discussion with him, and he and I sat down with a couple of other activists, uh, Debrissa McKinney, local artist and activist, Debrissa McKinney and Austin Haynes and Councilman Brian Haynes. And we sketched out what we called uh, a proclamation. A city proclamation is an instrument that city councils and uh, mayors will adopt in cities all across the United States if they agree in principle to the uh, to what's laid out in the proclamation. So we, we put this general proposal together, really, and the councilman then took it forward to the mayor, and they had a chat about it and went back and forth and brought it back to us. And without any edits to the original proclamation, the mayor agreed to bring it to the city council and have the city council adopt and proclaim that the week leading up to uh, Vegan Fest this year would be the seven-day city-sponsored seven-day vegan challenge. Well, that was quite awesome. And uh, I was talking to a friend who is also a medical doctor here and a vegan and a quite uh, prominent uh, vegan medical doctor named Dr. Garth Davis. You may know him. Mm-hmm. He wrote the book. He wrote the book Proteinaholic, and he's a medical doctor at Mission Health, which is the, the regional hospital. It's the largest uh, regional hospital in North Carolina, headquartered here in Asheville. I told him that the mayor and city council were going to ratify, adopt this proclamation, and I shared a copy of it with him, and he got very excited. And he said, "Tell you what, if I can get Mission to sponsor." this challenge and join Brother Wolf in the city of Asheville to uh, partner, um, could we do the menu plan for the challenge? (laughs) And I said, are you kidding? Absolutely. (laughs) Good luck with that. Um, (laughs) uh, Let's see how it goes. And uh, another very long story short, Dr. Garth worked uh, with his colleagues over at Mission Health, and they, they walked through this and invited us into a, a pretty big meeting with a lot of uh, a lot of folks there, marketing folks, doctors, uh, health practitioners, and we walked through walked through the challenge. And uh, you know, we had to work on some language about how we would promote it. And and uh, long, you know, by the end of the meeting, they had agreed to sign on, and so we. Within a week, um, gained the partnership of the city and this sponsorship and support and partnership with uh, Mission Health uh, Hospital to do this year's seven-day vegan challenge. It's not only the first time a city has ever proclaimed and promoted a vegan challenge to its own citizens, but it's also the first time that a hospital has ever done this, uh, promoted a vegan challenge to its service community as well. So that was what all made it historic to right, right coming out the gates. And then we had, you know, a crazy success uh, getting folks signed up. We've, we've done these challenges before. Um, the record uh, that we had for signups was 162. That was the most we'd ever gotten to sign up for a challenge in the past. And our campaign manager, Courtney, uh, who can be quite audacious and <laughs> aggressive with her goals, she <laughs> said, let's go for 500. <laughs> So, and we thought, okay, why not? We were all we were flying uh, with with the support of the city and the hospital, so we we thought we would go for it. And I think you know, by the third day, Courtney texted me and she said, "You're not going to believe 
uh, how many we've recruited. And I thought we would be at 300, 350, 400 maybe at the most. I was hoping for that. We, we, by the time we launched the challenge, we were over 900 people signed up. Oh, my so that goodness. Was, yeah, that was huge for us um, and, and for this challenge. And along the way, uh, as we were signing folks up, and this was leaking out to the press that this partnership of these three organizations had come together, we started hearing from cities and um, different cities who wanted to do similar challenges and ask um, Courtney refueled all the calls. And by the end of the challenge, we've, we have 10 cities now that Courtney's working with to try to bring this challenge to their communities as well. So it, it's already uh, moving out wow. across the, the, the U.S. And we hope that every city uh, will try this. It's, we've, uh, Courtney's put together these really easy kits that she sends folks. It's got... Uh, the menu plan that Dr. Garth and his team put together. It's got a sample uh, template for the proclamation um, and all sorts of other easy templates that, that cities can use. And they can go to cityveganchallenge.org and check out the materials, or they can email Courtney directly at Courtney at bwar.org, Courtney at bwar.org. And Courtney would love to help folks bring this to their city. We're not that is charging a, anything for this. But, that is amazing. Yeah, Paul, that is, <laughs> I mean, honestly, what a tremendous success. And then to have people already, uh, you guys just did this three weeks ago. So to have 10 cities already excited about this is just, well, it's a sign that people are ready for it. And you it have really given is. them the recipe. And I love it. Talk to us a little bit about your city. Talk to us about Asheville and what makes it such a good place to promote a vegan lifestyle and, and why you feel like it was kind of ripe to be this um, catalyst for other cities and a role model for other cities to do a vegan challenge. Uh, I've, I've got that question before. We, it is an exceptional community, um, not just because we live here, not just because I live here. <laughs> I, it's, it's, it still retains quite a lot of that neighborliness that we all grew up with you know, when we were growing up, where folks actually looked at each other and talked to each other who were neighbors. And there's quite a lot of that. And I think, I think there's a foundational difference between... Asheville and most other communities I've lived in as an adult. It's probably that Asheville has retained that neighborliness. And it's not unique because everybody here is native. It's quite the opposite. Most folks in Asheville aren't even from here. They're attracted to that core neighborliness that Asheville has. Now, it's also surrounded by uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains. Um, and it's an incredibly beautiful city and, sur- and, and, and surrounding uh, landscape. And um, most folks here, we have a river that goes right through the city, and most folks are in the river or hiking the mountains any time they have free. So it's a very outdoor, uh, uh, nature-focused, nature-aware community as well. I think those three aspects are the main points. And, and what comes out of that, I think, that kind of community is a community that cares about each other and cares about uh, you know the the environment and um, and and health health. I think those three those three components are are, uh, are key. It's also a I, I think as a as a cofactor of that. It's also you know a very uh, a, a community that loves its animals. Um, um, Brother Wolf is a no kill agency. We uh, have in, in partnership with uh, the city and the county and other rescue groups, we've helped build Asheville into a no-kill community where none of the dogs and cats that come in to our system 
uh, are put down because of space. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's a great accomplishment, and uh, a lot of other cities are trying to do it, and some have made great progress, as uh, we have here in Asheville. So uh, the point in mentioning that is I think anim- uh, the, the folks here in Asheville really care about animals as well, not just their pets, but local wildlife and, and so forth. So all those factors combined, I, I think it just all came together. We have obviously a great leadership um, in uh, in the mayor's office and city council. The local businesses here, uh, they all lean toward uh, local ownership. There's a very uh, big go-local type uh, Mm -hmm. uh, thrust here. I I don't know how to say it. We have farmer's markets every single day. um, Oh, my gosh. uh, During the growing season, there's a farmer's market somewhere. And uh, local businesses... If you weren't the executive director of of Brother Wolf Animal Rescue, you'd make a fine convention and visitors bureau executive director because I'm sold. I'm I'm going to get my tickets. I want to visit Asheville, North Carolina. Well, we've got to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of how the vegan challenge worked and exactly how residents could participate. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all tune in. And if you're just joining us, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Paul Berry. He's the executive director for Brother Wolf Animal Rescue in Asheville, North Carolina. And 
And he was one of the organizers of an extremely successful citywide vegan challenge. This was a vegan challenge that went on for a week, and the city backed it. Mission Health Hospital backed it, and his animal rescue uh, organization organized it. And I'm really excited to have Paul on because he's going to talk to us about exactly how the vegan challenge worked. Paul, help us understand what residents were asked to do, what kinds of materials they were provided in order to successfully adopt veganism for a week, especially for people who had never tried it before. Talk us through the, the logistics of this. Okay, will do. Um, so uh, we tried to make it as easy as possible for folks. And as, as I mentioned in the previous segment, Dr. Garth Davis from Mission Health and his team put together a really easy-to-follow seven-day menu plan with uh, recipes for every day of the week uh, for the full seven days uh, for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks. Um, they called it a whole food plant-based um, menu plan. And it was all vegan, of course. And um, so, folks, we we inserted their menu planner um, along with a very handy grocery list that the mission folks provided and all the recipes. We inserted that into a a vegan challenge guide that we made available in the participating grocery stores across the community as well as uh, the many participating restaurants that that participated. And so folks could take this... uh, challenge guide and go through it. They could learn about basic uh, nutrition, including basic vegan plant-based nutrition and how that nutrition works. Uh, and then the menu plan and grocery list um, uh, it was in the guide. We also made it available for download. If folks want to have a look at that guide, you can download it for free at cityveganchallenge.org. cityveganchallenge.org. So uh, we asked folks to go to the site, sign up, give us your email address, and download the guide. And if you have any questions for us or Dr. Garth or any other folks who are helping, to give us a call or an email. And we just coached folks along the way. It didn't take a lot because the mission folks did such a great job with that menu planner and nutrition guide. And uh, we just stayed in touch with folks throughout the week. There were um, Courtney planned activities pretty much every day of the week with the folks for Mission. We did multiple instructional videos. Um, we have a great chef, a great vegan chef, one of the top vegan chefs in the country here, uh, Chef Jason from Plant Restaurant. He and Dr. Garth talked about food preparation on a few videos, and I think those videos are available as well at the cityveganchallenge.org site. And uh, we um, just stayed in touch with folks throughout the week, and, and it all culminated at Vegan Fest that weekend. Vegan Fest ran uh, at the end of that week, starting Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And of course, Vegan Fest is a huge celebration of all the great foods that you can eat as a vegan. And um, uh, so, folks uh, kind of blew it out that that uh, at the end of the week with uh, lots of great, fun vegan foods, and celebrated their success. Again, we had over 900 people participate. And um, we were just so super pleased with how well it all went. It, it, uh, I think uh, the mission folks did a great job uh, and, uh, with the menu plan and Courtney and working with them, putting together those instructional videos, informational videos was really helpful too. So it just went really smooth. Oh, that's fantastic to hear. And, and it, you really did your homework in terms of thinking about what residents may, you know, objections or challenges they may have to participation and alleviating all that, all those obstacles before they even signed up. That's a great campaign plan. Now, 
In the last segment, you mentioned the proclamation that the mayor signed that established the Vegan Challenge, and it gave numerous reasons for why this event was a good idea. And I'd really like to have you explain these to our listeners so they can better understand the components of the proclamation. Let's begin with the part about global animal animal culture. Um, The proclamation mentions that it's the leading cause of animal cruelty worldwide. Help us understand this issue, Paul. Okay. Um, I guess whenever you talk about animal cruelty, you know, first you talk about the numbers and then you talk about the physical impacts on the animals. The the numbers are, uh, there are about 7.2 billion people on the planet. There are about 74 billion land animals that are farmed annually for human consumption. 74 billion animals. Wow. And when you talk about, when most folks ask or explore the issues of cruelty in that massive system of 74 billion animals each year, they talk primarily about the physical aspects. Um, I've been doing activism for a long time, two and a half decades now, and um, I, I found that it, it, it helps it's more helpful, I think, to start, instead of the physical impacts to animals, to start really with the psychological and sociological impacts first, mm-hmm. and then build toward the physical impacts, because I think it better informs the physical impacts that these animals go through in their confinement and, and slaughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the psychological and sociological impacts... Um, to these animals. You know, we at Brother Wolf are a dog and cat rescue group, and when we first started getting into farmed animal rescue, um, our behaviorists and, and our other experts on staff, we approached rehabilitation of rescued farm animals, animals that had been neglected or abused on farms. We approached that with the knowledge that we had about dogs and cats. And as you know, dogs and cats who have gone through um, some sort of trauma, physical, uh, psychological trauma. Um, their rehabilitation needs, uh, th- 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 we need to understand uh, the-, the background of their uh, suffering so we can first regain their trust. Mm-hmm. To understand how to regain the trust of a dog or a cat, it helps to understand their psychological and sociological uh, instincts. Mm-hmm. So dogs are canids, are pack animals. Cats are also pack animals. We call them prides. Um, they have sociological structures. Um, those sociological structures are embedded in their instincts. Uh, they, they suffer when they're not part of the pack or the pride. They want to be part of the pack or the pride. They suffer first as young when they're separated from their mothers. They suffer as they grow older when they're separated from their pack or their pride. And when we approached understanding farm animals, we tried to understand them first psychologically and sociologically. All the farm animals, whether it's um, chickens or pigs or cows, uh, they also are social animals. Um, uh, Hens, chickens, live together in social groups and they have the same psychological and sociological dynamics that cats and dogs do. Pigs and cows are the same way. When a pig or a baby calf 
or a chicken is separated from their group, isolated, confined in separation from their group, they suffer psychological stress. And it's not unlike, and the way we understood it first about dogs and cats was really understanding it through our own experiences as humans when we're separated from our mothers as young, you know, for whatever happened. It's terrifying to a child. Mm-hmm. When we're separated from our families, it can be terrifying and very traumatic when we're separated from our group, especially when we're in danger and confused. It can be terrifying. So the psychological and sociological trauma for dogs and cats can be carried over also to farmed animals. And we started, our, I think, uh, rightfully so, started our understanding. They're trying to understand how best to, be, to regain their trust. When you realize that the dogs and cats on your couch, as we did as we got to meet more farmed animals, that the farmed animals are very much, every bit as much, as sensitive psychologically and sociologically as the dogs and cats we rescue. The dogs and cats that assimilate into our families, um, we all know them uh, through their personalities. We might anthropomorphize them a bit, but that's just a way for us to understand another being in a language uh, that we don't share. We understand it in more basic languages like love and companionship and trust and humor and sorrow. Mm-hmm. Those are universal. Mm-hmm. So they carry over to the pigs and cows and chickens as well. So when you understand and appreciate and accept all those dynamics, and then you look at what we put farmed animals through, 74 billion a year, isolation, separation, extremely tight confinement to raise them, and then further subject them to the mechanized slaughter that now industrial agriculture employs. It, without getting into the gory details of it on your show, it mm-hmm. is a hell that we wreak on these animals every day. And so that I'll, is, I'll, leave, I'll leave it yeah. there, but I hope that people will consider when they look at animals to look first and consider first their psychology and sociology, and then look at, go online, look up some of the videos on YouTube and see what these animals go through at the end of their lives, uh, which finally they get a break from, but they have endured psychological and sociological torture as well as the incredible physical constraints and torture that they go through to end up ultimately on our plate. Well, and I think it's so important, even though I know that it can be so uncomfortable for people to think about that. I think that it's it, it heightens our level of compassion, not just for animals, but for all living things when we when we allow ourselves to explore those thoughts and to really think about the ramifications of what we eat and the choices we make. And if we are you know, responsible in some measure for suffering of any living thing. And so I really do appreciate the way that you explained that, Paul, because, you know, it it was a very kind and it was a very, you know, diplomatic way of inviting people who may have never really thought about that issue to to give it some consideration. And I I appreciate the way that you put that. We're going to take a quick break in just a moment. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the other elements uh, that were in the mayor's proclamation when she signed off on the seven-day vegan challenge. There's some important environmental and sociological and public health aspects to the proclamation. So don't go away, folks. You've got so much to learn from Paul. And we'll be right back after this commercial break. 
views, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I am so glad that you all tuned in because our guest today is really helping us understand um, an important issue of our time, and that is what we choose to put on our plate and the ramifications of the choices that we make. And it's all couched in a celebration um, for Asheville, North Carolina, and the great template that they've created and the role model that they are for other cities across the U.S. Earlier this month, they hosted the first ever in the United States city-proclaimed seven-day vegan challenge, asking their residents and their businesses and their institutions to participate in a seven-day vegan challenge. And our guest today, in case you're just joining us, is Paul Berry, the executive director of Brother Wolf Animal Rescue. And he was one of the key players in making this vegan challenge a reality. And we've been talking about the mayor's proclamation that outlines all the reasons why the city backed this seven-day vegan challenge. And one of the issues uh, that was raised in the proclamation is this. Uh, Global animal agriculture is the leading cause of global deforestation, rainforest depletion, soils degradation, water scarcity, desertification, and ocean dead zones. Paul, help us understand this statement in a little bit more detail, if you would. Okay. A little bit of background. You know, we're puppy huggers and Cat ladies, I, I'm a self-proclaimed cat lady. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And uh, we do animal rescue, and that includes rescuing animals from the shelter system and various communities we serve, and also rescuing animals in the wake of natural disasters and floods, wildfires, et cetera. And we've noticed over the last decade, easily over the last five years, that there has been a huge increase in the frequency and intensity of natural disasters, especially floods and wildfires. Um, we, um, you know, wanted to understand if these were going to ever level off because we found ourselves spending more and more time doing uh, disaster recovery work. Um, and, uh, and it's a huge interruption to our routine work um, of, of animal rescue. Uh, and it's also very costly because you can't plan for it. It just comes up all at once, and then you have to respond very quickly. Very disruptive and costly. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so we, we, we uh, about a year ago, we looked into the causes of, of these increasing uh, natural disasters. And, of course, a very long story short, we ended up reading and learning about climate change. And because we're you know, animal rescuers and didn't have a background in climate science, we reached out to scientists who uh, would return our phone calls and emails. And uh, another long story short that took uh, weeks and months to resolve, uh, we learned that um, the frequency and intensity of superstorms and wildfires and mudslides and 500-year floods are increasing and doubling, actually, every decade. And they... Scientists say they will be doubling every decade for the foreseeable future, and they're related to climate change. And what we found out along the way about climate change is that we're also in the midst of the sixth great mass extinction of species on Earth. We're now losing up to 200 species of wildlife every day on the planet, and the, the, the primary driver of both climate change and species extinction is the... Uh, Global deforestation, put it as simply as possible. Mm-hmm. Now, that hits people sideways sometimes because they think about climate change as greenhouse gases up in the sky and that we're putting too much greenhouse gases up in the sky. And that's true. We are putting too much. Um, when the greenhouse gases go up into the sky, into the atmosphere, and stay up there and warm the earth, one of the reasons they're staying up there is because they're not being drawn back down into greenhouse gas sinks. The primary greenhouse gas sinks on the planet are oceans and forests. And about half of our forests have now been destroyed. Uh, original native forests, about half of them have, have now been destroyed. And the leading driver of uh, species extinction is also the loss of these forests. That's where most of the species are being lost. Not all of them. But most of them have been lost through global deforestation and rainforest depletion. Humans now occupy, I'm sorry, about 60% of all lands now occupied by humans, 60% of all the lands we humans use is used for global animal agriculture wow. for, to, grow, to, to graze uh, farmed animals and to grow feed crops for farmed animals. So the number one use of, animal agri- of agriculture land by humans is global animal agriculture. The leading cause of rainforest depletion and global deforestation is global animal agriculture. And the leading cause of mass species extinction is global animal agriculture. And we were blown away by this. Most terrifying 
as we were learning all this, especially about species extinction and the fact that we're an animal group and had no idea that this mass extinction of species was underway. We had no idea. Nobody in our movement, much less mainstream media, is talking about it. Yeah, we were stunned at so that. True. We wanted to figure out how we can incorporate that into our work. How can we message about this to our constituents and donors without scaring them all away and freaking them out? Because we were pretty <laughs> freaked out. The reason we were freaked out is the numbers that we saw in mass species extinction, and these are numbers calculated by scientists. We checked their math. I have a strong math and science background. I don't use it much, but I dusted <laughs> it off when I started looking at all this science again. We saw that um, since 1970, I think is when the benchmark that the World Wildlife Fund started on wildlife species across the planet. The last major update they had from that population study, uh, it's called the Living Planet Index, World Wildlife Fund Living Planet Index, if folks want to Google it. Since 1970 up to 2012, I believe, the populations, they study thousands of species across thousands of habitats across the uh, earth each year, and they, they monitor the levels of uh, population of wildlife. And the population dec had declined across all those thousands of species by 2012, since 1970. It had declined by 2012 by, I think, 56% oh my in just gosh. that short period of time. That's shocking. It, it was stunning. And we looked at how that growth and decline, or, or how that decline was was, was uh, happening. It's happening exponentially. It's happening faster and faster and faster each year. So we got a really smart scientist whose name is Dr. Selesh Rao to help us look at the database of, of wildlife species, population species uh, data, and extrapolate it out to see what is it, what will next year look like? What will five years from now look like? And what he found, applying a exponential equation to their database to follow the trends in growth and further project those out, is that by 2026, statistically speaking, by 2026, that data predicts a global collapse of wildlife populations. Now, that, we can't even get our heads around what that even means. No, that's that's going to be here before we know it. I mean, you blink and a year goes by. That's incredibly soon. Yeah, it's eight years from now. And and what global collapse or what any collapse of a wildlife population means to an ecological niche or an, or an ecosystem is that the ecosystem begins to collapse. So this is, this is very urgent, uh, very urgent matter, and we're just trying to encourage discussion about it. Uh, we've, we've done as much research as we think we can do. We, we've sorted through, um, you know, both sides of the research, the, the, the sides of the research that are, uh, that, that under-report the tragedy, the sides of the research that over-report or exaggerate the tragedy, and where we are right now is in a really scary track of tending toward, at least statistically speaking, global collapse of wildlife by 2026, and nobody really knows what that means. If you've been around a small ecosystem when you were growing up and you saw maybe the frogs go away for a year or two, or you hear about bees being lost, or butterflies, pollinators, all of these are the wildlife that, that uh, are, are diminishing right now at a great, uh, at, at, the, at, at rates faster than any in the fossil record. Mm -hmm. This extinction is happening in a matter of decades where other extinctions happen over thousands of years. So 
it's unprecedented. It's scary. I'm sorry again to uh, I don't uh, frighten your listeners, but we were shocked at that, and we wanted to understand it. And uh, we also wanted uh, to to try to put forth solutions. And given that global animal agriculture is the leading cause of mass species extinction. Um, it, it follows logically very simply, and I have to be a scientist to put, connect those dots, that if we reduce our intake of animal-based foods, we can reduce the massive footprint of global animal agriculture on the planet. And mm-hmm. there's plenty of science out there that concludes that the single most effective change an individual can make to combat mass species extinction and climate change is the transition to a vegan diet. And that's why we included that in the proclamation as the second major point. Um, also, Asheville claims, calls itself Climate City, uh, a city that's conscious about climate change and working to um, put climate change in check and reduce climate change. But it had, up until the proclamation, it had not at all addressed the food issue. And mm-hmm. given that the science all comes together, and proves over and over again that the single most effective change we can make is the transition to a vegan diet to prevent these dual planetary crises that are quite imminent is the transition to a vegan diet. So we mm-hmm. asked the mayor to consider that and include it. And to her credit, she did. So we were very it's pleased. It's pretty that she bold. Met, she, she in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I hope that we see her taking this to the U.S. Conference of Mayors um, and mm-hmm. you know that this begins to spread in that way, too, because that's a great way to get more and more cities on board and emboldened and empowered to make these kinds of statements. And, you know, you talk about a very important issue, and that is global de- deforestation um, and how that removes a significant carbon sink that would allow our Earth's carbon cycle to stay regulated um, when we release all of these, you know, fossil fuels and hydrocarbons into the atmosphere. But because we have engaged in so much deforestation, we've really been leaning hard on the ocean, which is another carbon sink, to absorb more carbon than you know, is healthy for that ecosystem. And as a result, you know, we're seeing the acidification of the ocean as all that CO2 becomes carbonic acid. And that's what's contributing to the extinction of mass species in the ocean. So, I mean, you know, this is a terrestrial problem. It's a oceanic problem. Um, and I'm just so glad, you know, I don't think you have frightened our listeners. I think you have informed them. And that that's crucial, and I'm so glad that you did, Paul. Um, we're going to take a commercial break in just a moment, but when we come back, we're going to shift just a little bit from the planetary and the animal uh, benefits of a vegan diet, and we're going to start looking at your own health. So if there's anybody out there listening who is thinking, well, you know, I'd like to help the planet, I'd like to help animals, but what's in it for me? We've got the answer to that. We're going to talk about how a vegan diet is a great thing for your own body and your family. So don't go away, folks. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you're with us and so happy that we have Paul Berry with us today as our guest, the executive director of Brother Wolf Animal Rescue in Asheville, North Carolina. And a big shout out to everyone in Asheville. You have done a tremendous job in setting forth a a template and a role model situation for other cities to follow with your seven-day vegan challenge. And I'm so proud of you and so excited to highlight what you've done and what you've accomplished on Go Green Radio. You know, I know that a lot of our listeners are very concerned about the environment. They're also very concerned about animals, but I imagine that a lot of them are thinking, hey, Paul, if you're going to ask me to give up butter and cheeseburgers, it can't just be for the planet and animals. Tell me what's in it for me. And I know that you've got some good information for us about how a vegan lifestyle is good for human health. So talk to us about that. Okay. Um, well, if you if you know me, um, you'll see that I... I uh I look like a junk food vegan because I like all the <laughs> bad, fun, processed foods that are available for vegans now. I'm making up. For, I've been vegan 25 years now, and I, I'm making up for all the plain tofu and flavorless soy milk I had to consume <laughs> in the early years <laughs> with a vengeance. So, but uh, I think the easiest thing to say about nutrition, uh, and, and there's so there's so much great information out there now about vegan nutrition. It is the optimal diet for health, for promoting health and reversing disease uh, if you eat the right foods. Whole, whole food diet, whole food plant-based diet is what Dr. Garth recommended. Um, folks that have meat and dairy centered diets um, probably know already and if they don't I'll, I'll give you a good example about why meat and dairy is the worst diet for promoting disease and ill health um, here's an anecdotal 
example. Uh, Ten of the top 12 selling pharmaceutical products worldwide. This is a multi-trillion dollar industry. And 10 of their top 12 selling pharmaceutical products are medicines that treat the diseases of meat and dairy consumption. Diseases like uh, heart disease, uh, type 2 diabetes, and various cancers. Uh, So I think anecdotally, if we look at what the pharmaceutical industry is treating, we see that primarily they're treating diseases of meat and dairy consumption. Now, if you see a movie like Forks Over Knives, or there are many other great movies out there, films out there that promote uh, all the benefits of the vegan diet, um, the reason it reverses diseases is because um, it, it, uh, it, most, uh, it, it uh, helps and supports how our system is uh, best digested and uses our food. Um, we don't have to eat the meat to get the uh, nutrients we need. We can get them straight from plants just like the animals do that meat eaters eat. So it's much more efficient uh, for the body to consume those nutrients directly as opposed to trying to get it, uh, that through meat. Um, I think the best, uh, I think the best uh, excuse for transitioning to vegan diet on health is that it, uh, it reverses disease and the contrary diet of meat and dairy diet promotes disease. And I, I think there's a ton of other reasons that folks can find if they go do their own research. But I've raised two daughters um, completely vegan. Uh, my wife and I raised our daughters completely vegan, and they're taller than us. They're smarter than us. <laughs> they're sassier than us. Um, <laughs> and uh, they're you know, tops you. in their class. i <laughs> Yeah, okay, so you understand. And they're doing great. They're doing great. They're so healthy. And I remember my wife and I talk about it all the time, the problems we had growing up, all the aches and pains and allergies that we have, and they don't have that stuff. So um, I encourage folks to go out and do your own research to try, uh, go download our vegan challenge guide um, and look at the recipes in there. Look at the nutrition information that Dr. Garth and his team put in. There's a lot more science besides what I just said, um, and they folks can find out for themselves. But it is clearly the most optimal diet for humans. Um, and I know that there may be some exceptions out there uh, that have been documented that are isolated incidences, but all the macro studies prove that populations of humans that move toward vegan diet dramatically reduce incidence of, de- of disease and dramatically optimize their health. Mm-hmm. And that all the science is in on that. Well, and and that's that's a fact. And and even the American Dietetic Association has declared that. A well-planned vegan diet is appropriate for all stages of the human life cycle, pregnancy, lactation, infancy, childhood, and adolescence. So, um, you know, that's science, not opinion. And and I'm glad that you you brought that up. You know, I'd love to give you a chance to talk a little bit about your organization, Brother Wolf Animal Rescue, because there's something that is mentioned on your website. There's a little phrase that I want you to I want you to talk about with our listeners because I love the sound of it and I want to know more about this core ethic of yours of, you call it uncompromised compassion. And I, I want you to under, help us understand that phrase. Okay. Um, thank you for asking that. That's awesome. 
Uh, I hope I hope that's a great point to end on. Um, we years ago uh, we began uh, a process uh, amongst our board members looking at building. A, a new sanctuary. We know we needed. We knew we needed to move out of our current facilities and into a bigger, broader sanctuary operation. And and uh, we were discussing. Uh, and we're, we're the sanctuary construction is now underway. If folks want to hear more about our sanctuary project. They can go to bwar.org and click on the sanctuary button there and learn more about what we're trying to do at the sanctuary. But we were talking amongst the leadership in the organization about what all, who all and what all we would serve um, in terms of uh, programming and animals, uh, which animals we would uh, help at the sanctuary. And we went through a classic exercise of looking at our values and um, the question kept coming about where are we going to draw the line on our compassion it wasn't just where we're going to draw the line on our operations but where are we going to draw the line on our compassion we're going to close our doors to non-dogs and cats say uh, a cow or a pig or a chicken needs our help and what came out of that a very long story short is we agreed that our core value would be uncompromised compassion and let's not try to create rules around how we would express that compassion uh, toward other animals who need us including people and families who might be in need who are struggling with their own animals or who are struggling otherwise if they need our help so we established that core uh, ethic of uncompromised compassion and it is it's it's the um, guidepost for all of our work as decisions and opportunities come up we look at uh, we use that to to guide our decisions i love that i just think that is just that's heartwarming and inspiring and motivating all at the same time you know paul many of our listeners are students and young adults who are beginning to make their own choices about what they'll eat and how they'll purchase things for the first time in their lives. And in the minute or so that we have left of the show, what advice do you have for them if they're contemplating a vegan diet? Um, to, to act on it, you know, go there. Um, it's, it's, it's the only, only sustainable diet that humans can move forward with. The, the math and science is clear. Um, so uh, we have to move in this direction as a species. Uh, our population is exponentially increasing. Um, so so uh, do that. Try that change yourself in whatever ways work for you. Um, the uh, Dr. Garth will uh, give me a noogie for saying this, but uh, a lot of <laughs> folks want a lot of folks want uh, convenience and taste and texture. And there are great vegan analogs out there. You can have every, every meal you want uh, during the day, breakfast, lunch, supper, and snacks. Just go to the frozen food aisle or the packaged food aisle and look at the vegan options. You can eat out of a bag or a box for every single meal if you want. <laughs> and a lot of folks live that way. I love it. Um, I love it. Now, Dr. Garth would say... Get you know, get get whole foods and prepare them yourself, and get back in touch with your food. And he's absolutely right. And Chef Jason would say, and and, and make it taste great and make it beautiful. You know, they would both <laughs> say that. But uh, for folks that just want to try, a lot of folks are reluctant because they feel like it's it's really hard. Start with the easy analog foods, you know, the packaged foods, and see how easy it is to just move your taste buds over to a more compassionate, more environmentally conscious uh, uh, diet, and then begin digging into uh, some of the uh, 
uh, I guess, advice that Dr. Garth and Chef Jason would say, which is learn how to soon begin learning how to prepare your own food and, and make it healthy because you, you know, those those That's processed foods, yeah, they. That is great they, advice. Uh, they, but it's good okay, to know good. we have an option, you know, that we can start with the easy stuff. Everybody likes that. You know, we can feel like we've got technology right on our side and do a little bit of easy stuff. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a great show. Thanks to our listeners for being with us as well. We'll be here next week, same time, same place, with more Go Green Radio. And until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific.